Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Uh, grab your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 8. That's where we're going to be. Romans 8. Uh, if you were here last week, you were really blessed um, to hear Preston. We, we are very blessed as a church to have so many others that can, that can teach. Uh, I love it because I get to sit and take notes and, and hear from God also. Um, and it's just neat having different points of view, different ways of communicating. So we're, we're blessed with that. I want you to think <clears throat> about a time where you were completely confident in something. I mean, like 100% confident in something. A few weeks ago, watching the Buffalo Bills against the Chiefs. Buffalo Bills, sorry, sorry, Bills fans. They scored with 13 seconds. I was so confident that they were going to win, I almost changed the channel. I, I mean, really, I'm like, eh, game over, done. I was wrong. Then the next week, Sorry, Ken, the Chiefs, I was so confident the Chiefs were going to win. Like, it was just one of those, I'm not even going to watch the game, although I'll watch the, and they, so confident. So today, Super Bowl, I have no, I mean, I'm not even going to be confident. But, but what about other times, you know, you've been confident in things, sometimes that, that come through, sometimes that don't. I mean, we're very confident that spring is going to be here, or at least that summer will. Around here, sometimes we don't get a spring. But what are those things that you're really confident, fully confident about? How about this? Are you fully confident that God loves you? Do you have a solid confidence in your eternal security and that what we talked about last week, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose? Are you confident in that? Now, I've seen some, some head shaking, so then the question is, are you joyful? Are you at peace in life? Are you okay when life does what life does, right? There's trials and tribulations and, and relational difficulties and, and whatever. We can go down the list. When we really can stand on the strength, on the firmness, the confidence that God loves us, that Jesus' death and resurrection was good enough for us, and our eternity is, is secure, and not only that, but as things happen right now, as God said, all things work together for good. Not all things are good. But he has the ability to work it all for good in the end. If we trust that, it changes our hearts here and now. In Romans 8, this is what we're going to be looking at. How can we have that confidence in God? And I'll tell you, we're going to be looking at just nine verses. Uh, verses 8, Romans 8, 31 to 39. And these verses really sum up the last three or four chapters of Romans. He kind of ends with this, and it's just a beautiful way that, uh, of of finishing, stand on the confidence. If you have never memorized some of these verses, these are some of those verses you need to memorize. I memorized some of these when I was 16, and they just stuck with me. And to be honest, they, you know, if you memorize scripture, the Holy Spirit can use that and bring it up when you need it. And some of these verses have been those in my life of just that's what I needed right then, right now. So let's start. Romans 8, 31 begins, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So that's the first verse, but he's, again, he's summing up. What have we seen in the last three chapters, right? Saved by faith. I mean, he's been beating that drum, right? Not by works, faith alone in Jesus's death and resurrection alone. So if we're saved by faith, not by works, then does it matter what we do? right? Then we should just go on sinning because then grace increases. Paul says, no way, Romans 6. No way, don't do that. Then we get to Romans 7, and it, the bat, we see the battle. Oh, I do what I don't want to do. The things I, I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. And we see this battle, and we see that the battle is real, that even though we're saved, 
If you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, you're going to struggle with temptation, but we can have victory. Right? So going on to the next chapter, victory is possible as we walk in the Spirit. We can experience consistent victory over sin and the abundant life that God has for us. But then that leads us to, if you're anything like me, have you had those times in life where you're like, oh, I hear this, I believe it, but I'm still struggling with sin. I hear this, why am I tempted by this? You know, or, or this outward thing is, is bringing me down and I don't have, and you start wrestling, right? Or, or we start to drift away, and I think that's why he goes to this. What shall we say to these things? These things in the last three chapters, all this stuff that might get us riled up and, and confused, whatever. If God is for us, who can be against us? Memorize that verse. If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's a question for today. How can we have confidence in God's unconditional love for us? And it starts with this. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, this is uh, one of those rhetorical questions, right? This is one of those uh, literary devices that he puts it in there, the assumption, no one. But if you're like me, you read that and you're like, mm, that's not my experience, <laughs> right? Um, unbelieving family members, ah, I feel like they're really against me. Sometimes my spouse, not me, maybe other spouses, <laughs> right, right? So, oh, I just feel like she's against me right now, or, or your kids. Yes, and I do have that one, for sure. Sometimes, oh, they're just, a, we're against each other. You know, if God is for us, who can be against us? A lot, right? Governments, right? We have been so blessed in this country to have religious freedom, but in the history of the world, God's people in general, governments are against God's people. Full societies are against, that's the, actually the normal thrust, look through history. And so, are we going that way? Maybe, right? So all these things coming at us, all these things that can happen, there's a lot of people against us. So what does this mean? If God is for us, who can be against us? A lot of people, but they're, they're really powerless in the scheme of, of what God wants to do. Why? Romans 8, 28, right? We looked at this last week. He works all things for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's why he, we win, basically. We win. Because God is for us, no one can thwart his plan for our lives. Do you believe that? Nothing can thwart his plan for our lives, not even us. Now, let's be honest. We can walk through life and we can walk outside of his will. We, we can. We can make choices to go after sin, to go, whatever, and that's not going to be good for us. But ultimately, if we belong to him, he's going he's gonna to do what he said he's going to do. Right? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of our Lord. So this is really looking forward. No one, no one can thwart his plan for our lives. Why? Look at verse 32. He, that is God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There's another great verse to memorize. Jesus' death is proof that God will stop at nothing to bless us as much as possible. Have you ever felt this or even said it? You know, I've heard it. There's no way God can love me. Look at these things in my life. Where is God right now? It, right? God has abandoned me. God is not here. You ever felt that? I mean, if we, I think we all can admit we have. Right here he's saying, God gave Jesus, his son, to die on the cross. You think he's going to hold anything else back? Right? You heard the phrase, in for a penny, in for a pound? 
right? Well, I started, might as well finish. Well, this is in for a pound, in for a penny. The big gift was right up front, Jesus himself. So you think God's going to give us that and then withhold something else good? I mean, that, that's piddly in comparison with Jesus' death and resurrection? Absolutely not. I mean, think about that. Jesus, remember when he was in the garden, before he went to the cross, right? And it said he was sweating drops of blood. He was anxious. He was worried because he knew what he was about to do, not just be beaten, not just be nailed to a cross, horrible way to die, but he was going to take the sin of the world on his shoulders. That's the piece that I think we often miss. We don't understand fully what he went through there, and I don't think we ever will understand that fully, but he knew. He knew it was coming, and he prayed, right? God, if there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass. Can we do it a different way? I am not looking forward to this. But not my will, but yours be done. This is the only way, God says, right? The Father says, there is no other way. And Jesus said, then I'm for... If God would do that and Jesus would do that, you think he's going to look at your life and go, I'm too busy, (laughs) right? Here's a great thing for you, but you don't deserve it. No, he is a good father. He gave us Jesus when we didn't deserve it. He chose us when we didn't deserve it, not when we were good. He's not going to hold anything else back. Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. You know, this is one of those passages that, I'll be honest, it's, it's passages like this of why I became a pastor. That, I mean, all my life, whatever, seeing a lot of believers, Christians, living in stress and anxiety and anger, right, and relational strife. Rather, what God has for us is, is joy and, and peace, You know, these are the things he wants for us. And it starts with an an understanding of God's love for us, right? Of what he's done for us and that he will not fail. He will not fail. God is consistent and he is steady. Now, as we've looked through these verses before, right? And the, the book began. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have you ever questioned your salvation? Have you ever looked at a sin you just committed? You just did it, and you're like, there's no way I can have Christ. There's no way I can be saved and do that. Look at these next verses. 33 and 34. It says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God is the one who justifies. Here's what that means. That when he looks at you, and and of course he knows your sin, in the end, when you stand before judgment, you will not be condemned. He justifies, meaning he looks at you and says, you're good, right? You're good because of Jesus. And then Jesus Christ also here, he won't accuse us because Jesus is the one who went to the cross for us. The point is, I mean, two members of the Trinity are listed right here and neither will accuse you. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Not only will they not accuse us, no one else will accuse us. Or at least they won't accuse us and have it go through. Here's the picture I I have, um, and maybe it's a silly picture, but but I picture a courtroom, right? God is is the judge. He's behind me. He's got the robe and everything. And I'm the accused, right? I'm the one there. And the room is full of people accusing me, right? Satan is there. Hey, remember all these things you did? Even after you've, you've professed your faith, you did these things, there's no way you can belong to him. You're worthless, right? So Satan's doing that. And then you look out, and then there's, there's church people, no offense to us church people, but they're looking at me going, you don't conform to our image. 
No, you, you don't look the way you're supposed to look. You, you should look like us, whatever. And they're casting these judgments. And I'm even in the crowd, right? I'm in there accusing myself. You hypocrite. I know your heart, right? right? And so there's all these accusations coming. And God bangs his gavel. And he says, be silent, everybody. I already judged this on my son. He's innocent. I don't care what you guys say. He's innocent. Even our own accusations. You cannot get between you and God. Do you get that? Ultimately, we can walk outside as well, absolutely, but ultimately, we will not be condemned. There is so much security in that. The Jesus follower will never be declared guilty before God. Done. Never. How is this possible? Well, 34. Jesus, who died and was raised. By the way, Jesus rising from the dead is central to our faith. Because Jesus bodily rising from the dead, not just a spiritual resurrection, but actually bodily, right? His body was not in that cave anymore because it rose. That basically meant, you know, Jesus paid the price and God said, accepted, right? Your payment is received and it's accepted. It's good enough, rose from the dead. And so his rising from the dead, right, gives us our forgiveness. His rising from the dead who was raised and now he's at the right hand of the father, interceding. I mean, that is another very real picture. Jesus with the Father, and when you mess up, like you will, you darn human, right? Jesus is there kind of whispering to the Father, I covered that sin. That's my daughter, right? That, that's my, I covered that. I covered that one too, right? He's there interceding for us because we can't do it on our own. We really can't. Have you ever heard of the, the law of double jeopardy? It's kind of one of those weird laws of if, if you are, if you go through trial, I don't, ask Don later, he was a, a lawyer, but um, you go through a trial accused of something, when it's over, you can't be tried again for the same crime. It's kind of that here. Jesus was tried for all of our crimes and found guilty and condemned, meaning we can't be tried. Not guilty. It's already been tried. You can't bring it up again. The sentence was carried out on Jesus, on the cross. And he was raised. We are confident in our eternal security because of the work of God for us in Christ. We are confident. You are perfectly secure, eternally secure, because of Jesus. And we celebrate. We are confident in the love of God for us. That's the next point. It's not just legal. You know, a lot of times religion can become religion, right? Duty, uh, believe all the right things, although we do need to believe right things, but it becomes, it becomes just this religious whatever. Here's the really cool thing about biblical faith that is different from every other faith. It's deeply, deeply relational. God created men and women to be in relationship with him. That's why he made us, so that we could enjoy him. He didn't need us, right? God wasn't bored, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to make some playthings, God, in his divinity, in his love, created us to share himself with us, knowing he would end up going to the cross to die for, wow. So it is deeply relational. It's not just, right, the duty. It's not just God needing servants to do things for him. He needs nothing from us. He does everything for us. There's something about humans that we are relational. Dogs are too, but humans are even deeper relational. Have you ever been out, you know, on a walk or whatever, and you see a sunset, you see something beautiful, and you're like, I just want to, you turn to share it with somebody, and like, I'll take a picture and show somebody. We want to share these things together. 
God wants to share himself with us. So it's not all this just duty. There is is deep loving joy, and that's what we're moving to next, is his love for us. God loves us. Not in some religious weird, he loves us. He, He likes you. Isn't that weird? You know you. (laughs) He likes you. He loves you deeply. That is what we can stand on all of our life. That is what we can come back to forever. Nothing can separate us from his love. No worldly hardship can move us out of the reach of God's love for us. Look at 35 and 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's a quote from the Old Testament referring to God's people there. But how's that begin? Who can separate us from God's love? Nothing. Nothing. And he goes through this list. Now, this list isn't exhaustive, obviously. It's just kind of a spattering, right? But nothing. How about uh, tribulation? Ever had any tribulation? Ever had kids? You've had tribulation. (laughs) Ever had distress? Ever had relationships not go quite right? All these things, tribulation, distress, persecution, right? We haven't had a lot of that, but it might be coming. Are you okay with that? Or does that freak you out? That's been part of the church since it started, is all these things. Uh, You know the century where the most Christians have been killed for their faith? This last one. The 20th century. More Christians were martyred in the 20th century, I think, than every other century combined. So persecution is very real. But can all these trials separate us from God's love? Absolutely not. And here's what I think we need to understand. Is going through trials evidence that God doesn't love us? Because that's where we go right? I see this trouble in my life. God must not love me. Absolutely not. The opposite is true. In fact, when we see it rightly, we understand God wants to use those things to do something in and through us. We saw that earlier in Romans. Consider it joy, right? That's one of those verses we should want to highlight with a sharpie. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because he produces some things in you. Faith, trust. So the next time when a trial comes, you go through it better, right? You freak out, not quite as much. And then you go through that. And then the next time, maybe you don't freak out quite as much because he's producing in us faith. This passage right here is one of those that should produce in us faith and confidence so we can go through whatever trials. But guess what? We will go through trials. I mean, that's why I believe he put in verse 36. He quotes the Old Testament. Some of us will be killed for our faith. We will go through trials. We will go through tribulations. But when we trust God's love, we can make it through those. And, 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What's the point there? We win. We win. It's a done deal. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered to him as Lord, you believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, you said, I, I'm yours. Right? You doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. If you said that, guess what? You are more than conquerors. I love that. More than conquerors? What, what is more than conquerors? It means we're family. <laughs> we're adopted. Right? We're given his name. We're brought into his kingdom. More than conquerors. We're looking at future glory is what we're looking at. For the one who loves God, nothing can ultimately defeat us. 
Nothing can ultimately defeat us. Can we be defeated in this world? It can sure look like it. I mean, how many people have died for their faith? That doesn't feel like a win. Being burned at the stake for your faith, that doesn't feel like a win. But nothing can ultimately defeat us. This is looking forward, right? This has been a big topic already in Romans 8 of future glory, of what is to come. We win. This is why we did the Heaven series for five weeks recently, because that's huge for us as believers to know our future. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't look forward to heaven very much because I thought it was on a cloud or an eternal church service, whatever. Uh, and I love church, but I didn't want that. Um, we'll be in real bodies on a real earth. We can debate, is it this one remade or is it a total? But it's going to be physical. And it's going to be restored the way God originally wanted it to be. We'll be in perfect relationship with him and one another, meaning it, it, we're going to be there together right? Only we're going to treat each other a little bit better <laughs> because sin will be removed. But we look forward to that. We will not lose ultimately because no powers, spiritual or otherwise, can keep us from God's love. 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor debt nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? I love this passage. These verses are really, uh, it's kind of like God's love poem to us. You know, and maybe for some of you men, you're like, I don't like that. But this is a kind of, it's a, I mean, how many love songs have been written from, you know, a man to a woman? A lot, right? I mean, you got good old uh, Randy Travis. Love is deeper than the holler. You know, you go, right? Um, I, I'm not going to keep singing for you, but um, all these love songs where you list, right? Nothing can, can stop me from loving you. Um, this is God writing that song to us. Nothing's going to keep my love from you, even you. Death can't do it because I, in death we win. In death, eventually we have new bodies, again, with God forever. We win. God will restore anything, right, uh, for, again, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This gives so much peace because God takes control. He's the one that says, I love you, and so I win. I'm going to make this happen, and it's not up to you. No powers, spiritual or otherwise, can keep us from God's love. God is not passive. God is not weak. God's love is real, genuine affection. Again, he likes you. <laughs> he likes you. And he's going to be sure that the best things happen ultimately for you. Do we believe that? If we do, it produces in us peace and joy, right? I, I mean, that's our mission statement on the wall. Why do we exist as a church to connect people to the abundant life only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus? That's what God wants for us. Love, joy, peace, despite circumstances. That's what he wants. You know, I've shared, if you've been here very long, you hear a lot of the same stories over and over. I only have so many in my life. You know, but 2009, whatever, when the big crash happened, and everybody was suffering at that time, but, but you know, we couldn't pay our mortgage and, and struggling financially. What are we going to do? Um, do we sell the house? All, all this stuff. You went through it too, probably. And I, I was a hard worker. I, I had a business at the time and uh, wanting to, you know, do contracting. And so I did everything I could to, to pay the bills, whatever. And I couldn't do it. And I remember, what, I remember right where I was, walking in the, in the driveway. 
and just stressed, right? Just feeling it. Man, I, I have four kids. I'm supposed to be the provider. I'm a failure, whatever. And, and kind of like this picture or this mirror came up in front of me and God showed me myself. And he said, you're worried, you're anxious, you're taking control. I've promised you some things. I've promised, one, that I love you. I've promised to provide for you, right? I, not in that house necessarily, but you'll have shelter. It might be a tree. <laughs> I, I, I mean, for real, because I, I remember where I was, and I looked at the tree, and I'm like, I could live under that. <laughs> you know? Um, but he's made some promises, maybe not at our American level, whatever, but then we can be at peace with that. And, and it switched in me. I didn't have work after that, right? We didn't have a bunch of money after that. But he changed my heart in there of saying, I love you. I mean, it was just one of those unique things where he kind of just wrapped me up. I love you. I'm, I, I promised you, and, and we win. In, in the end, we win. And it just gave me peace. Again, how about those things with, with your kids? Things rise up with your kids, and you start to oh, stress, whatever. You start losing sleep. No, God has made some promises, right? For those who belong to him, it's going to work out for good. We win. How do you apply this. So we can believe this, right? This can be in our head, but it needs to move from our head to our heart. How do we experience what we're talking about here? This truth, how can it change us? John 15. You can turn there if you want or take it, make a note of it. But John 15, um, and, and this will probably be a, a topic in group this week if you go to group. But in John 15, 5, it says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So he starts this talk of abiding, this close walk relationship with God. It's another way of saying walk by the Spirit. And then in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Right there. He says, I love you. Abide in my, stay in my love. Meaning don't forget it. Don't move past it. Just remain here. I, I, I was thinking about, you know, having one of my daughters come up and, and say, you know, I'm going to wrap you in my love. I'm going to hug you and just try and get away. The problem is they would probably hurt me because they're big and strong now. <laughs> right? Maybe I could get somebody else up here to do that, but I'm not going to. But that's, that's God's picture, right? He's going to wrap us in his love and hold us tight. And we, we can't get away ultimately. Right? We can kick and we can scream, and, and maybe your kids have done that when they get to an age they don't want hugs anymore, and you have to just do it, and you hold them, and they kick and scream and bite. Um, <laughs> but I love them, and I'm going to hug them. God for us is the same. He's just going to grab us. I love you. Good luck getting away. You can't. You can't. If you belong to him, you will not escape his love, period. So trust him. Stay there. This is, this is one of those beautiful passages that is just all good news. <laughs> it, it's really not telling us to do anything, right? There, there's no list of, of things to obey or to avoid. It's just him saying, I love you. Don't forget it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you love us. <laughs> um, thank you for even liking us. God, I know me. Um, a lot of times I don't like me. But you know me even deeper than I know myself, and you love me. God, this brings so much peace in life when we know that you have taken responsibility to love us. You have taken responsibility for our eternal destiny. And God, we can trust you. I, I pray that this would go from head to heart. God, there is a lot of stuff we're worrying about right now. God, we have, we have kid issues. 
We have marriage issues. We have financial issues. We have all kinds of issues. But in that, God, when we can lean on your love, that you promise we are more than conquerors in you, God, it'll change how we go through those things. We can go through them with peace, with joy, with love. And God, we can trust you completely. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.